I remember the penguins. Boom! Shakespeare said that. I've lived for nothing. And then I make it with Mila Kunis. Where have you been? Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's sweet. Very sweet. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Ooh, we could start our own PBS program club. And that's the only reason I married you, actually. <laughs> well, today is your lucky day. Awesome. We have some new countries to report. I actually took the opportunity, we'd had a few weeks off here from this, to go back and go through all the countries that we have and all the ones that I've mentioned. Some of these may be repeats, but in any case, this will bring us fully up to date. Okay. So new countries that I have to report are Bahrain, the Cayman Islands, Lithuania, Puerto Rico, Slovakia, Trinidad and Tobago, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and the British Virgin Islands. Wow. Yes. Welcome all. Yes. And so we are now up to 95 countries. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's almost an even hundred. That's right. That's pretty fantastic. It's very exciting. Yes. Lithuania. Is that where they make the batteries? (laughs) I, I, I don't believe so. Hmm. Well, that's disappointing. Yes. Are you from Lithuania? Write in. Let us know. <laughs> Do you make batteries? Uh, we have a lot of telegrams to catch up with from our cousins. Got to get back on track with the correspondence since we've had so many guests recently. Yes. So let's get to it. Hi, cousins Kelly and Tom. I have been rationing episodes of Up Yours Downstairs like sugar in wartime until I heard that you would keep podcasting on other shows. After that, I sort of went on a binge and listened to three episodes in a week. I am not proud of my lack of restraint, but I mean, even Anna lets her hair out of the cap once in a while. Case in point, it's not against the law to take a mistress. So I'm about to listen to the second half of the Christmas episode. I broke out the Christmas socks, made some cocoa in the Keurig, and I'm really looking forward to listening to it, but I know I'm going to have that last page of Deathly Hallows let down when it is over. No, we did not have a weird epilogue, so I think you should be okay. (laughs) Right. I'm excited to have viewing homework in order to listen to the next installments. I'll watch the film Gosford Park, but I'm unsure about Manor House. I remember Colonial House, and it was the series, right? Will you be recapping episode by episode like you do with Downton Abbey, or should we have knowledge of the whole season or series going in? Is there a list posted somewhere that tells what to watch and when in order to keep up? Finally, I have listened to at least three other Downton podcasts, and they do not compare to yours at all. While listening to Up Yours Downstairs, I often find myself turning into a Baptist churchgoer, shouting amen after some of your comments. And I certainly cannot get enough of Cousin Kelly breaking into show tunes as she recaps. (laughs) This leads me to my suggestion. Have you ever thought of Downton Abbey the musical? It worked for the Star Kids, and now Darren Chris is a teenage dream. I think you guys would be amazing at this. And although George Bailey turns down Sam Wainwright, I want in on the ground floor. I mean, George Bailey was clearly wrong. He was. Well, he made a lot of bad decisions. I think (laughs) we can all agree. It's a wonderful life full of terrible decisions. Well, it could have been a wonderfuller life. I think we can (laughs) agree on that. Uh, I've been a high school theater director for 14 years, and I write comedy, and I am ripe for Cousin of the Week. So whenever you want to collabo, hit me up. We could do luncheon and discuss. Cousin Kelly, please reread last sentence in McG voice and overpronounce luncheon for me. Thanks. <clears throat> we could do luncheon and discuss. <laughs> Thanks for reading this telegram and for a great podcast, Cousin Laura. All right. Well, well, thank you so much. I'm glad that we gave you an opportunity to binge because we really are proponents of binge everything. <laughs> right. Just whatever there is that you enjoy, just if keep doing if it. If it's worth doing, it's worth binging. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's our motto. Yeah. I actually had not really thought of a Downton Abbey musical 
Uh, Somewhat surprisingly, you have yeah, thought of that. Yeah, it's very strange that I haven't thought of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we'd be interested. We're pretty busy people right. uh, in general, and neither of us can write music. <laughs> yes. So... I can recognize notes if I see them. Okay. That's about the On paper my- or in your head? On paper. Okay. Yeah. So we need some help. <laughs> right. Uh, if we all want to, you know, have a have a Google meet up or a hangout what is what is it called in google plus i think it's a hangout i don't you know what that's but, the only social networking thing we're not on and we're not about to start now <laughs> uh yeah i don't know if anybody out there wants to do this you know it might just be fun you know for like fan fictiony type purposes yeah uh again we can't we can't stress this enough how busy we are <laughs> right we're extremely extremely busy yes so yes in a perfect world we would be able to stop time and 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 you know, spend six months making this happen. Uh, but you know, we're, we're very open to the possibility of someone, uh, giving us like $50,000 to do this. Right. So if, if you have that amount of money and you want to make this happen or anything else happen. Yeah. yeah. Really? If there's just anything, like if you want us to like have a baby (laughs) or like house sit for $50,000, we can, we We, can do that. We will gladly house it for really 40,000 and up. I think we would. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Good. Well, it's good for us uh, that we got that out in the open. (laughs) Our next telegram comes from our maiden aunt, Elizabeth. She writes, I'm so excited you read my telegram last week. I'm also happy to have claimed the maiden aunt title. Don't let anyone else steal it from me. Unlike Edith, I claim the title proudly as maiden aunthood is definitely the way to go. Give those babies back when you're done playing with them. Although, come to think of it, I guess that's why those aristocrats have baby nurses. I'll work on my dad and see if I can get you any anecdotes. I'm not sure he really gets the whole podcasting concept yet. People recap what they watch on TV, and they joke about it, and they don't work for the show or a newspaper or anything. They're just fans. It's still a little out of his depths. But I know he'll be excited when he gets to the Manor House casts. Can't wait to hear the final DA cast for season two. I've been sleepy Monday mornings because I just have to listen to them late Sunday and end up staying into the wee hours. I'm glad you all will keep going through the hiatus. Elizabeth, the maiden aunt. And, uh, you know, I have to say that to a certain extent, I'm not sure that we still get the whole podcasting thing. Yeah, you why, know. Why are we doing this? Ours is not <laughs> to question why. That's true. And then uh, she actually had a postscript as well. Oh, I failed to note that. Yes. She adds, I forgot to mention one little bit of trivia I came across this weekend. I got to rewatching The Tudors on Netflix to get my historical drama fix and just rewatched the Northern Rebellion scenes that happen in Yorkshire. And who should be one of the major leaders of the rebellion? Mr. Mosley. I don't know his real name, but it was a fun crossover. That brings my count to three Downton Abbey actors on the Tudors, Branson, Vera Bates, and Mr. Mosley. And maybe I'll catch some more while watching. I was ready for the second Earl of Grantham to join the King's forces in Yorkshire to help fight back the tide, but he never appeared. Well, he was probably too old. That's very possible. That's my way of thinking. He had to rally the troops on the home front. <laughs> yeah, we've never watched the Tudors. It's in our instant watch queue, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. And considering uh, how much I enjoy Jonathan Rice Myers in Velvet Goldmine, it's really kind of appalling that I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. We are, you know, fans of Game of Thrones, so we've seen uh, Natalie Dormer's breasts. Uh, <laughs> right. More, more than either of us would have expected, really. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we will we will try and check that out uh, in our previously mentioned copious free time. All right. Next up, cousin Jessica writes. Uh, she says, "I was talking to a friend about Thomas and being gay in Edwardian England, and I thought you mentioned a book about gay people during that time. However, when re-listening to the podcast, I can't seem to find you reference it." 
If you did mention one, can you let me know the name of the book so I can check it out? I know I am in the minority of people with my affection for Thomas. It is... It probably is only because he is gay, and I feel I must stand up for my peeps. Can't wait for the next podcast on the second part of the Christmas special. And the book was The Great Silence by Juliet Nicholson, recommended by Cousin Lauren. And we are still planning to put out that book list. Right. We promise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it'll probably come out somewhere in the same neighborhood as our first uh, Repeats History Fashion Backwards episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have a little bit more time for research at that point, so we will try and get that up. Oh, and to answer Cousin Laura's question earlier, there is a schedule for the hiatus programming that we have. I think it goes through October, but it's at our Tumblr, which is upyoursdownstairs.tumblr.com. So you can find that. And then when we do the book list, we'll put the book list up on the Tumblr also. Okay. Next, we have a telegram from our cousin, Mrs. Grant, who writes, Dear Honorable Kelly and Tom, may the spring weather find you both well. I am writing with some random thoughts and some ideas. Random thought number one. I wonder if out of all the evaded scenes that the despicable Sir Julian didn't show slash write, if there is one that included Matthew realizing Mary's sacrifice in the first failed proposal. Basically, I don't know if you feel the same way, but obviously Mary had always loved Matthew, and she wanted to accept him back in series one. But she also wanted to tell him the truth about Pamuk and didn't have the courage to. But she was too honorable to conceal the truth from him. So she stalled and ruined her chances with Matthew. And that was the reason why she didn't accept him, not because she was greedy. At least, I think that. If I was Matthew and realized that, I would love Mary even more. Just thought it was worth mentioning, go Team Mary. Here, here. I was going to say, you're in good company. (laughs) Right. Random thought number two. Pull over my car moment of your last podcast was definitely Kelly's comment about Bates' head looking like wilted cabbage. Oh my god, I was laughing so hard. I always wonder why I was repelled a little bit whenever Anna and her man made out, as much as I love Anna. So there. Also, the term Isis's Great Escape was so funny. I really think Triumph Motorcycle Company need to make Isis a bike, the same one Steve McQueen drove in The Great Escape. They were a British company, too. In fact, they were around when Isis was alive. Hooray! Random thought number three. Kelly, you really should consider doing some serious voice acting. You can sing so well and imitate voices so hilariously. I love your Daisy and, of course, McGee impressions. Tom, please don't be shy and do the impressions that Kelly told us so much about. Thank you. Uh, Okay, this is really long, so I'm going to write another one instead. I bid thee farewell for now. Your humble servant, Mrs. Grant. All right. Well, thank you. I have uh, saucily considered doing some serious voice acting, but I have not quite... Uh, figured out how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, $50,000, 40000 and up, really. We're just saying. Yeah, yeah. I could be your own personal voice actor. Just, <laughs> That's you know. right. Just everywhere you go, you could be like you're the voice of the person's internal monologue. Uh-huh. Or I could be like a narrator of the reality show of your life. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Wow, like a Derek Jacoby type. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Only uh, I would be much more dashing. <laughs> Next up, we have Cousin Leslie, who says, Hello, Kelly and Tom. As a Whovian and a Downton Abbey fan, I absolutely adore Prime Minister Harriet Jones, a.k.a. Isabel Crawley. I recently rewatched Doctor Who seasons five and six and was delighted to discover the following. Father Octavian in the Time of the Angels, a.k.a. Sir Richard Carlyle, and Captain Henry Avery in The Curse of the Black Spot, a.k.a. Lord Grantham. Oh, Fantastic. I suspect there are more Downton Abbey Doctor Who crossovers, and I am very tempted to start a Tumblr just for this. But I suppose my bar exams, yes, I said exams, ought to be higher on the priority list. Take care and keep up the great work. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. And that's yeah. when we stopped watching Doctor Who. Yeah. In as fact, it uh, we weren't a big, f- big fans of the Moffating. Right. Uh, which is a whole other debate. Right. So if you want to, if you want to complain about it, we can do it on Twitter. But like, <laughs> let's not. Right. We're not trying to start a thing. A thing. Uh, just, just coincidentally, we didn't watch those episodes. Yeah, but I'm but sure yeah. there probably are in the first four seasons. Oh my god, what if Captain Jack Harkness had a cameo on Downton Abbey? <gasps> oh my goodness! I know John Barrowman. That's his name. I'm like, yeah. I don't even think of him as a real person. Right. I only think of him as Captain Jack Harkness. Oh, he could meet up with Thomas and. Oh my god! And solve all of Thomas's problems. Man, Baron Fellows, make <laughs> this happen. We've decreed it thus. Chop chop. Shirley MacLaine could set them up. Yeah. She's a friend of the gays, right? I, as far as I'm aware. I don't know. She was in Sweet Charity, so I assume. <laughs> well. Considering how many drag queens must have performed Hey Big Spender at some point <laughs> in their careers, I would have to think. By the transitive axiom. Yep. Our next telegram comes from Cousin Beckett, who writes, Hello, cousins, and second cousin Sam. I really enjoyed the Gosford Park podcast, also the looks I was getting from the client when I laughed at inappropriate times during my project. Well done. Three things I thought I should mention. All of the downstairs scenes in both Gosford Park and Downton Abbey had to be filmed on a soundstage. Most grand houses of that era have lost their period kitchens, etc. Julian Fellow's mother was not in service. It goes back a generation. Though he and his parents marketed themselves as upper crust, he even did so during the special features, saying he had an aunt who wouldn't let her maid get into the car before she did, etc. All of this might be true, but his family weren't the cousins of titled nobility or anything. Not even a junior branch, if I do my research correctly. Naughty Baron Fellows. Uh, regarding honorable, yet another one of those courtesy titles. So we, we had wondered about that. Well, and, and Mrs. Grant called us honorable in this podcast, so ah. we can choose now what we would like to be. Excellent. All sons of dukes and marquises are a lord. Oldest son only of earls and viscounts are a lord. If there is a lesser title their father holds, this will usually be the one the son uses. But younger sons of earls and viscounts, honorable. All sons of barons, honorable. It's wretched, I know. The daughters get off a little better. All daughters of dukes, marquises, and earls, lady. All daughters of viscounts and barons, honorable. So a lot of the honorables might have very, very influential or well-connected relatives. Secret. <laughs> is this a secret? I don't know. Let's assume it's a secret. Okay. So we know a secret that you guys don't know, but it's really good. Really good. Yes. Uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> An- uh, anxiously awaiting further installments, Cousin Beckett, whose clan chief and head of her family is the Duke of Montrose, who I know a uh, song about. Oh, yeah? He gave his life for loyalty. Um, I'd sing it all now, but I'm not going to. See, I was just going to quote Fraser and be like, I wrote a song about Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> Candle in the Wind. Uh, yeah, but that was fascinating and a very succinct uh, explanation about the titles and everything. Yes. And uh, I'm glad to know that uh, Julian Fellow's parents weren't in service because I feel like I can go back to hating him. Right. You know? Which is... I didn't enjoy that, like, week where I hated him <laughs> less. Right. <sighs> no, and, you know, unlike Julian Fellows, I think we'll just stick with the title of Cousins. Yeah. We're, think... uh, we're proletarians, That's... eh, comrade? <laughs> That's right. Cousin Kate writes in, 
Dear cousins Kelly and Tom, I love when you burst out in song. The all the single Carsons moment almost gave me an IPAL, I peed a little moment, <laughs> and got me some strange looks as I was out and about when I was listening and laughing hysterically. Please keep up the spontaneous singing. Love the podcast and keep up the good work. Your adoring cousin Kate in Maine. Well, uh, try and stop me. <laughs> right. First of all. I think we can all be confident that the spontaneous I, singing will continue. I just hope that like my grandchildren will like hear, hear stories about me that are like, oh, you know, Grandma Kelly was always singing and not Grandma Kelly had this really horrible undiagnosed Asperger's and like it was really uncomfortable for everyone. Uh, but everybody on the podcast seems to like it. So right. I'll keep it up. They're, they're our real family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are a terror. Yes. Hello, Kelly and Tom. I recently watched Gosford Park in order to listen to the Up Yours Downstairs episode about it. I'm very glad you did that episode because I love the movie. It was really confusing in the beginning. I didn't know any of the characters until at least 30 minutes in, but it was still such a brilliant movie. I love it when British people say brilliant, as do I. After listening to your podcast episode, which is wonderfully hilarious and sarcastic as usual, I understood it more, so thank you for that. Now I'm curious as to what Tom looks like, and I want to see a picture. Hmm, maybe Google Images will help. Haha. Anyway, I wanted to thank you for introducing me to such a wonderful movie as Gosford Park. I'm off to watch Manor House now. I have high hopes. Yours truly, Sashi. P.S. There is a book by Charles Dickens titled Our Mutual Friend. I highly suggest it to you. It has wonderful and odd characters, a brilliant plot, and has very humorous parts. Although it isn't very well known, it's one of Dickens' last works and deserves some recognition. Well, there is a picture of Tom with his birthday gift uh, on both the Twitter and I believe on the Facebook Although timeline makes it very hard to find anything, I find. That's right. Yeah, I don't know what a Google image search would turn up for you these days. It's uh, a mixed bag. Oh, well, your name is Tom Schneider. So. Right. There's, there's a fair number of us out there. Yeah. Yeah. I've looked various ways in my life. Um, <laughs> no, I know that there's images on the internet of me dating back many years. So yeah. They, they cover a wide range. Yeah, so uh, take it all with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard of our mutual friend in some context. Uh, Dickens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know what good, to say. Good story. Yeah. That was a great story. <laughs> <sighs> now we have a letter from the Dowager cousin Jackie. She says, <laughs> I fucking love Manor House. I've seen it all the way through four-ish times now, I think. Definitely a number of times that it would make more sense for me to buy the damn DVDs myself and keep renting them from Netflix when I want to rewatch the series. And I pulled myself out of my obsessive Lost marathon. I'm almost to season five and can't wait to see Hurley throw the hot pocket at Ben again <laughs> to gift you with a bit of haiku about these lovely and or terrible people at Manderson. Actually, this week, it's only the really awesome people, specifically Mr. Edgar, who is totally the best ever, and Mr. Dubiard, who is clearly a cartoon character living in the real world. <laughs> Ahem. Mr. Edgar glares at the stairs and at the chairs. Why so frowny, dude? <laughs> I loved your comparison of Mr. Dubiard and Mr. Bean, so I had to do something with that. Stomp, glare, swish, roll, smack. Messrs. Bean and Dubiard. Long lost brothers, eh? Oh. More for next time, and if you'll excuse me, I need to get back to the island before they move it again. Good luck with that. <laughs> no, uh, Jackie, you should hook up with, I believe it's first cousin Matt runs a Lost uh, podcast oh, right. called Looking Back Lost. So find him on Twitter. Yes. Missed connections, up yours downstairs style. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess we know we should get the Dowager Cousin Jackie for Christmas then. I guess so. Don't tell the Dowager Cousin Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just the description of Monsieur Dubiard 
as a cartoon character <laughs> living in the real world. What you heard was a second take because I couldn't stop laughing as I read that out loud. Yes. Next, we have a very brief telegram that says, I think that I deserve to be cousin of the week. Insincerely, Lord Dante of Yorkshire. Not really. Totally made that up. I'm from Georgia. Look, Lord Dante. <laughs> We almost gave it to you because we appreciate insouciance and a healthy disregard for the uh, status quo. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, we had somebody submit something that was so awesome, we did have to overlook you. Cousin Tom sent us some photos, which are posted to the Facebook, you know, you know, all the, the, the usual The suspects. usual places. He says, we do Wiggy Oki every year for my birthday. The flyer is always some version of my face photoshopped in somewhere. This year, we went with Downton Abbey, made the banner for the stage, and made the t-shirt I'm wearing in the photo my face on the Dowager. And uh, they're fantastic. I mean, it's it's yeah. really cool looking, and there's a great picture of Cousin Tom, not to be confused with this Cousin Tom, <laughs> right. singing karaoke in his Dowager Countess t-shirt along with a wig so congratulations cousin tom you are cousin of the week wear it and your wigs in good health congratulations in other exciting news we are up to 122 ratings on itunes which we didn't know because yeah, we weren't really well we're delicate flowers who went to <laughs> theater camp where they tell you never to read your criticism right uh which we ignored for a while but then it kind of got to be a little bit much yeah and now we think maybe we steeled ourselves enough that we can go back hopefully i don't know we are oddly affected by strangers saying bad things about <laughs> us <laughs> Yeah, but we we will comb through those somehow, perhaps with a bottle of whiskey in hand, uh, and, and excerpt some of the new reviews uh, on an upcoming episode. So if you haven't yet given us a review, please go ahead and do so, and you also might be on the podcast That's in right. review form. <laughs> Uh, if you don't want to leave a review, but we would still like to contact us, you can uh, send us a carrier pigeon on Twitter at Five Maggie Smiths. You can find us on Facebook, Up Yours Downstairs fan page, or you can send us a telegram, the old-fashioned way, <laughs> at upyoursdownstairs at gmail dot com. That is old-fashioned. It's quite old-fashioned. <laughs> Ancient by current standards, indeed. So I think. It's time to recap this bad boy. That's right. Manor House episode two, making the grade. Making the grade. In an episode where there are no grades. Right. Uh, Master Guy's tutor doesn't even show up. No. That's right. Not even a sighting. There's a lot of judging by Derek <laughs> Jacoby. Yeah, specifically, but not numeric based yeah. judging. No, they could have called it making the dinner. Right. They could have called it all work and no play makes Monsieur Dubiard act exactly the same. You could have called it Let's Get Hammered. No, no, no. Uh, let's get... Uh, uh, let's, let's get lashed. Let's get lashed. Yes. All as, right. Uh, as, as Footman Rob says, I'm going to get absolutely lashed. <laughs> and I'm using that from now on. No, me too. So uh, let's let's make this happen. <laughs> right. It's got a better chance than fetch. <laughs> yeah, no. It's uh, So this is two weeks into the, uh, the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that they call it a project. Mm-hmm. It makes it seem much more science-y. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the whole, you know, PBS pretty, reality show yeah. thing. Is it's, it's really like, no, what would happen? Let's, yeah. Let's actually see what happens yeah. when people stop being real and start being polite or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> they get alcohol poisoning. <laughs> they do get alcohol poisoning. They totally get alcohol poisoning. It's, it happened. Freaking called it, man. You sure did. 
every reality show is exactly the same. We might as well stop now because we all know that bisexual chick is going to turn straight by the end. Uh, yeah, and they kicked it off with the morning prayers, which we never see on uh, Downton Abbey. It's true. I don't think the Granthams are especially religious. I agree. Uh, you know, Mary has... Well, we've seen that Mary has a very sort of lax relationship with God. Right. Well, because you remember Edith saying, we weren't praying, were you? <laughs> well, and she's the one who wanted to go tour the churches. <laughs> right. They only like uh, religion when it's expedient to their purposes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's uh, it's hard to say, you know, how prevalent that would have been. I mean, I'm sure... Right. I mean, I'm sure at the time, everybody was still officially Christian. Well, yeah. And, well, and I'm sure everybody was uh, pretending they had morning prayers every day when necessary. Right. Uh, but you can see the servants yes. as the praying is happening. Kenny like, the hall boy thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> and it's, it's nice getting uh, Kenny in this episode. Oh, we man. We got a, a taste of him last time. But he is, he is fun to have around. He's great. No, and, and at the end of morning prayers, Lady O.C. says, may the Lord bless our servants and make them dutiful. Yeah. And all the servants are just like, uh, I'm sorry. This is England. I'm pretty sure that we're Protestant. <laughs> right. Free will. That's uh, not, not in Edwardian English. No, <laughs> no because it's, it's a whole theme that, that before that, uh, oh, wait, no. Lord O.C. had been reading like similar prayers but i mean he was reading out of a book uh-huh. and it was the same sort of message like dear lord please make our servants stay in line don't let them get uppity you know that sort <laughs> yeah, of thing yeah and i was wrong though luther wasn't predestination that was calvin right okay i think yes well, it was because was. he's yeah but i don't think luther was i'm not sure well we'll look into that i used <laughs> to know these things <laughs> Before I started rolling my eyes during morning prayers. <laughs> so we then go to Master Guy sitting up in a tree. Right. Not holding lie, holding court. Yes. Uh, proving himself he's clearly the Dowager Countess of this series. Yeah. Were we to be rating anyone on the scale of Maggie Smith, it, it would be Master Guy. Absolutely. Uh, because he is uniquely situated to not give a flying fuck how anyone perceives him whatsoever that's right he's young and he doesn't have a writing staff but apart from that yeah. he's, he's just as good yeah yeah because he's, he's describing his uh his aunt avril right? uh levine <laughs> yes is what we're calling her that's right uh and saying that she's living with us but she's not married so her status goes which is great like this guy's putting Derek Jacoby out of a job no he really is they should have they should have done like an alternate track (laughs) that was just like oh there's the whole boy he seemed like he was drunk most times (laughs) yeah and then while he's doing this we see John T and Levine like desultorily playing lawn tennis yeah like the producers like hey go play lawn tennis and they're like uh do you know how much clothes we're wearing dude (laughs) yeah like, the ball doesn't bounce, so they just have to sort of, like, hit it to each other. I feel like they both got really, like, roped into this. Yeah, like, they both... They don't seem to be playing lawn tennis voluntarily. No, or doing any of this voluntarily. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess that's sort of my question is, like, how do you convince your sister, yeah. who's a... She's a microbiologist. Right. How do you convince her to check everything when she clearly didn't seem to want to do it at all? Yeah, like... 
she would clearly rather be back with her E. coli. Yeah. Well, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like Lord and Lady OC, I think they have a devious side to them where they're like, they're the family members that are like, oh, we're going to throw a party, but you're going to like cater it and have it at your house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. They're those people. Yeah. I think. And the whole time through it was like, oh, they probably won't pick us, but come on, it'll be fun. We'll go through the whole thing. Right. Exactly. And then they all got picked and it was just like, what? Although I guess, you know, being those people who do that, they're uniquely suited to this project since they did throw a party in this episode and made other people uh, cater it. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) No, I mean, the fact is that they were well cast. However much we may hate them, we do not hate the casting directors that selected them. No, I just, I feel like this casting director was seeing all these people, you know, at the end of the day, she'd go home to her husband and be like, you know... They're all just so empathetic. <laughs> they they seem to understand that the class system is broken, and even today it's not exactly fair. And then these two waltz in, and she's like, oh, "You've saved the project." <laughs> uh, yes. As we see, <laughs> I mean, I think it does get worse from here. But this Whew. is a humdinger. Yeah. We get some some talking heads with Lord and Lady OC, and and uh. Lord Olive Cooper uh, unironically says, you know, he thinks the class system is fine. He likes the way everybody knows their place. Yeah, he says, it seems to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, kind of apropos of nothing, yeah. he says, uh, the poor always with us. Jesus said it. <laughs> like, that doesn't make it okay. Right. Well, because he prefaces that. It's like, I can, see, I can see why it might be galling to some people. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, uh, we don't like you, buddy. <laughs> right. We we hope you get Spanish flu, basically. <laughs> no. Is that a defense that did, people use? Did did Jesus then follow that up by saying, therefore, treat them like shit? Was no. Because I don't think he that didn't, was the intent there. I do not remember my... Uh, my New Jerusalem version of the Bible <laughs> right. having the word shit in it anywhere. Yeah. That's out true. Coming out of Jesus's mouth because, or anyone's. Look, I went to a Catholic grade school. One of the boys in the sixth grade class would have found it in there. Yeah. If it they was definitely there. would have. Yeah. No, but I do remember, oh, the Beatitudes. So suck <laughs> it, Lord OC. Yeah. The meek shall inherit your manor. That's right. We find out the uh, workday for some of these these servants. We we've cut downstairs right. again, which like thank God. Yeah. Like every time that they are upstairs, I'm like, and it's not master guy. I'm just like, right. shut up. No, it's so like uncomfortable. It's well, because like, you know they're uncomfortable. Yeah. Because I mean, I do think they're self aware enough to know that there's just no way they're going to come across well. Right. And I think I think. The, the, to the least extent, that's true of Lord O.C., but the others, like Lady O.C. clearly at times is trying to be like, well, from the very beginning when she's like, oh, you know, we shop at Oxfam, yeah. that sort of thing. She's at least aware that it looks bad to right. be like, sweet! <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and I don't know, you know, I don't know how much, you know, direction they get from the production team, right. you know? Because, you know, I'm sure, you know, they potentially could have been goaded into making certain statements. Although I think that that thing about Jesus was all uh, yeah. him. Just, you can't coax anyone into saying something that I asinine. Think he, somebody read him that verse when he was born wealthy and he was like nine and he was like, that's it. I'm using that for the rest of my life. <laughs> no more criticism for me. <laughs> so yes, 
So downstairs we find out that the workday is from 6 a.m. to 12 a.m. for many people, which uh, is an 18-hour workday. That's a long workday. I think that is in direct defiance of the Geneva Conventions. <laughs> Which had not been drafted at that at the point that right. they're recreating, but we do have a new uh, scullery maid. Her name is Kelly Squire. I believe. Squire. Yeah, that's not what I wrote, but that's what it was. <laughs> it was okay. Uh, so she has a great name. Yes, I think we can expect very exciting things from her. Sure, nothing bad ever happens to a scullery maid. That's true. If, if we've learned anything, <laughs> Jesus said it. <laughs> Yeah, we get some more, uh, you know, uh, kitchen discord. I can't understand anything Monsieur Juliard <laughs> says. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we've checked to see if there are subtitles. But even if there were, <laughs> right. I, it, it would just be... <laughs> it'd be like gibberish. Is it French? We don't know. Something in French? Yeah, we get to spend a little more time with Mr. Edgar. Uh, mm-hmm. who we learned, we posted it to Twitter. There was an article that he wrote about when September 11th happened. Mm-hmm. So, and I think we talked on somewhere, somebody yeah, let yeah. us know that this was actually recorded in 2001. Right. Not 2006 or whenever we thought. Yeah. So this was probably recorded concurrently with Frontier House. Mm-hmm. Um, but September 11th happened during the filming of the series and you know the producers decided to let them know but we did find out that there is an op you know they would they would each get like a day off a week or something like that so you know despite the fact that they are like recreating these conditions they did still have to adhere to some of the labor laws it sounds like so the younger people would like go down to the pub in the village and you know they'd watch tv and Mm -hmm. and you know they would get modern newspapers and bring them back but mr edgar would have none of that Mm. uh because he was so dedicated. Like, yeah. he really wanted to do it right, yeah. which I respect. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, and it just, I don't know, it was, I would recommend everybody to read it because you just, you know, you kind of forget what a huge impact it had on Britain as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think at this late point in the game, we remember it as this very American event. Right. But, you know, like, Tony Blair was, like, right there with it the whole time. And oh, there yeah. were attacks in London. And Yeah, I mean, I recall from the day that Tony Blair was much more, like, accessible and better spoken about the whole thing than than Bush. Uh-huh. Like, he gave a better speech sooner than Bush did. Mm-hmm. I rem- you know, I remember very clearly. Well, Tony Blair was a, you know, excellent politician. Yes, he, he was. He had a great run. But, yeah, Mr. Edgar's in... in this scene, he's uh, just talking about the servants and what did they expect? Uh-huh. Did they think they'd be watching television and then just swanning around? Which I'd, I'd like to see some swanning around. I'm not sure what that looks like, but... Well, you live with me. I can't believe that you don't <laughs> know what that looks like. So that's what you're doing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, I, I spin and do pirouettes and I say, I was perfect! <laughs> and then I make it with Mila Kunis. Where have you been? Uh, where have I been? I don't know! Well, hang on! <laughs> <laughs> you know, in reference to, you know, this is after a bunch of talking heads of the various servants complaining about, you know, their life and how tedious it is. You know and- what this episode should have been called was the episode where everyone cries. <laughs> yeah. Because freaking everyone below stairs, well, except Mr. Edgar, but right. I don't think he has functioning tear ducts. Right. Agreed. I think, he- well, we'll talk about that later, but I think he comes close later yeah, on in the episode yeah, to crying. Yeah. Well, and because the-, the maids are crying about uh having to deal with monsieur dubiard uh, who is mean he, he is he's so mean 
mean? He yeah. makes Mrs. Patmore look like Santa Claus. It's true. I mean, the thing I'll say about him, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm a bit Team Dubiard in these things. And what it is about it is, it's to me, it's never personal. I mean, no, and I would, I would agree. He, like, it's, he's not. He he's not mean. He's inconsiderate. He's yeah. Exactly. And, I mean, you know, he does... It's not like he's just sitting around while he's bossing everybody around. Every every shot of Monsieur Dubiard in the series is an action shot. I don't think he ever slept yeah. or sat down or ate a meal. Yeah. I think he just... I think he's well, a robot. And, and, and I think the other people recognize that. One of them, I forget which one, said something along the lines of, he might be weird, like, all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, like Rowan Atkinson. Uh... Have you ever seen them in the same place at the same time? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Does anybody know where Rowan Atkinson was on 9-11? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it would be great if someone did, actually. <laughs> I think he would write a very witty essay I would, about I would it. So. That also had a little bit of emotion, but not too much. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Lady O.C. has to uh, invite a bunch of lords and ladies and, and various dignitaries to this dinner party that they have to throw. Yeah. Uh, you know, so and they, this is where, to an extent, the making the grade title sort of comes into play, that, oh, this is a big test for them. We'll yeah. We'll all the etiquette and whatnot. And I mean, to a certain... I mean, it is insane. And this is yeah. where I... It's not clear to me, much like Lord Grantham, what exactly it is Lord O.C. sits around doing all day. <laughs> right. Like, I, do, I don't understand it. Yeah. You know, she has to plan... You know the the menu and stuff, presumably, and and she has to send out all these invitations and figure out the order of precedence. And so she's right. sitting with these like reams of paper, yeah, trying to understand and and a book that I think actually might have been Burke's Peerage, probably the, the, the stud book that that makes sense. Yeah, no, but it's just like to me, just the whole system is so weird. You know, because they're talking about oh, if you if you were nobility and you didn't know how to play by the rules then you were just totally disgraced right i mean and to me it's just so weird it's like from birth you were expected to like know how to play dungeons and dragons or <laughs> no one would talk to you <laughs> right. and if you messed it up you were not allowed to play dungeons and dragons anymore yeah um it's just so antiquated yeah and and it hasn't been that long it's been just over a century mm-hmm. since this was the way things were yeah and, you know, not in America to the extent, but I mean, a lot of the customs were the same. Yeah. You know, the, the hierarchies were different, but. Yeah. Things no, were I mean, so formalized. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, and I, I don't know how true this is. I mean, my feeling is that it was basically the same in America, except only in like a few East Coast cities. Yeah. You know, and then most of America was, you know. Hey. That's true, because I mean, one of the. San Francisco was one of the first cities on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and everyone considered it to be very rough and very gauche yeah, uh, yeah and that they they didn't do things correctly right right whereas whereas in england i mean a downton abbey is you know often you know it's like in kentucky or whatever yeah. as far as you know england's concerned maine. or maine yeah um yeah but they're just as formal and just as well i mean but i think it also has to do with the geography because it's so much more compressed you know well, they're on an true. island the square the, you know the the acreage of England itself is nowhere near as as big as right. America. Right. But yeah, but I mean, you know, it's uh it's fascinating. That's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, no, and and so for, like for example, when uh Lady OC walks past Rebecca, one of the lower maids, she has to like turn her face and stand in the corner so that Lady OC is not obligated to acknowledge her presence. Mm-hmm. 
Rebecca didn't care for it. No, she didn't. I mean, and you could see just how, like, degrading it was. Uh-huh. Like, it just, just seeing the image of it is like, eee. Yeah, I mean, actual Edwardians had the distinct advantage of not having read Jean-Paul Sartre's uh, seminal work, Being in Nothingness, <laughs> I think. Not having lived through French existentialism right. uh, probably did them a lot of favors. Yeah, And I mean, you know, and this is always where the divide comes in these shows because, you know, you can't truly, you know, recreate yes. this scenario Obviously. because these people would have been working for their survival and their family's survival. Yeah. Whereas all of these people, you know, when you come down to it, you know, they're doing it as a lark. Right. It's right. not... You know, nobody's holding a gun to their head, right. making them do this. Right. Well, and it's, I mean, as we see with the scholarly maids, like, and we sort of discussed this, you know, starting to get less on the Edwardian age, but being fired from a servant's position meant uh, living on the street, turning to prostitution, like, mm-hmm. complete disaster. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's where you, s- you sort of get it a little bit in the, the Ethel storyline right. in the second series. I right. think they opted not to be super explicit about it. Mm hmm. But, you know, I mean, I think that would be an interesting story. Yeah. But clearly not one that Julian Fellows is interested in telling. Right. Not enough, not enough posh people in that story. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and I mean, we get uh, Jaunty talking about, you know, his two cents on this situation and saying something about that, the the sort of class system that if, that if everybody had been born into it, then then they would be fine with it and it, it, it would work. It was actually sp- specifically referring to Tristan. Because Tristan, I think, is also actually, if not at Oxbridge, I mean, he's he's they, at an institution of higher learning that's... Right. They said they're basically the in same. reality in the same... And they're the yeah. same age. Yeah, yeah. And I... Um, and, and so Jonty says that if they'd been born into it, that they would be fine with it. I was like, oh, yes, if they'd been born... That's why there's never been a violent revolution. Yes. Look, I mean... <laughs> no, but I mean... That's a valid criticism of what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. However, number one, it's less offensive than anything either of his parents says. Absolutely. Like, we don't want... There's degrees and jaunty as much. Well, but I mean, you know, we both know, and I'm sure people listening know people who have kind of a crappy lot in life, but they are kind of fine with it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You know, not everybody's out occupying right now. Right. We're certainly not. No, we're we're doing a podcast. We're doing a podcast. That's but, probably the opposite of occupying. <laughs> right. Unless you're like podcasting a drum circle. Um, <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, and I think he was just unable to articulate that sort of to completion. Yeah, yeah. I think he wanted to say, you know, in reality, if this was the situation and and you know Tristan was not Tristan if Tristan was in fact you know a groom right and who I mean, who'd yeah. been brought up to you know, to do this trade like again like most of the certain servants on Downton Abbey don't ex- particularly have a problem with their lot in life in the system mm-hmm. um well, but you know, we, growing less so as the series progresses but we do but, see that pushback yeah. When anybody has ambition. And I mean, and that's, right. I think that's what Jaunty's trying to talk about. Yeah. What he's trying to talk about is people who are interested in self-preservation and maintaining the status quo. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he kind of fails to go far enough to say that they may not be happy about it, mm-hmm. but that, you know, sur- again, coming back to survival and, and needing yeah. to maintain this, this sort of precarious relationship between the haves and the have-nots right. because they don't want to be a have-nothing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I've talked about it too in the show, how back in the flower show thing, with how the Dowager Countess and old Mr. Mosley both really are happy with 
mm-hmm. rigid distinctions of class and so, so status and want to keep it that way. Well, They're and again, and that's where, you know, Lord O.C. could have been on to something if he yeah. had been born with even a modicum of self-awareness. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, it is it is just that complacency and like this is how yeah. it's always been. I don't like being uncomfortable. Let's avoid being uncomfortable. And right. I mean, and I think, again, this is where we come to. Everybody is coming into it with their experiences of living in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. So things that would have caused less discomfort for their historical models yeah. is actually extremely uncomfortable for them. Right, right. Because they don't live that way. Mm-hmm. If you see someone anywhere, you acknowledge them. Right, right. We also uh, – so we're, we learn a bit more about how the, the relationships downstairs are shaking mm-hmm. out. In particular, that Charlie has become Butler's pet. Butler's pet. <laughs> I want to be Butler's pet. Yes. I do, really. Mr. Edgar is cool. Yeah. No. We, we, <laughs> Look, if I was there, I don't know that my gender would have permitted it. Oh, yeah. But I would have definitely tried to be Mr. Edgar's pet. Yeah. No, and well, because, I mean, his little talking head thing is all the other, you know, all the other servants are complaining and he's saying, listen, I want us to do really good. I don't want it to look like this is too tough for us. Yeah. I want to work really hard mm-hmm. to get this done. And I noted there that there's a little trouble in paradise with Charlie and Rob. Yeah. They're the the bromance has hit some <laughs> choppy waters. Yep. Well, because Rob is a little resentful. Um, yeah. Because I believe, is Rob first or second footman? Rob is second. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's already inferior in terms of just, you know, right. sheer rank. Right. Now he's also inferior because Charlie has decided to, you know, get a little bit uh, uh, a little bit cozy with the management. Yep, yep. And uh, as someone who's been in both of those positions, yeah. it's rough. Yeah, no, and it's tough because I can see it because I totally am on Edgar and Charlie's side, but that's... you. Of course they were going to turn on Charlie. Bros before butlers, man. <laughs> but I mean, that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. and there's no avoiding that. Yeah. And, and we just get more talking heads of everybody crying yeah. because the work is that hard. Yeah. And they have to clean the whole house like every day. Yeah. Even, I, and they can't be using that whole house. <laughs> uh, this is think. again, who built a house that big? Yeah. But, uh, you know... Kelly, the new scullery maid, is very upset with her level of work. I mean, she's basically... Right. You know, she's... And she's giving it a go. Yeah. In a way that Lucy never did. Right. You know, but but, but she's... But she's trying to get, like, the job tasks divided up a little differently, and she, like, wants Kenny to do some stuff. Because basically, and, you know, as the scullery maid, all she does all day is stoke fires and wash pots. Right. That is the job description. Right. And, you know, Monsieur Dubiard can't understand why... She won't just do what she's told. Right. He, you know, his view is that he's doing exactly what he's been told. He's, he's prepped for it. Yeah. You know, he was more prepared for this than Mr. Edgar was, honestly. Yeah. Because, and I think as the cook, you're a little bit better suited to kind of be in a, because you don't, you know, you are not responsible for any people. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Like he's kind of. the same way. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, so like. They have this whole conversation at, and it's unclear if it's lunch or dinner. Right. Uh, or dinner or supper? Dinner or supper, yeah. Okay. Where Kenny the Hall boy is sort of advocating that, you know, he shouldn't be getting stuck with the scullery maids. She's blackmailing him, he said. Well, she's. Oh, yeah, she's threatening quit. to leave. If, yeah. And, you know, they don't want that to happen again. Right. So they're having a big argument, which Mr. Edgar points out to them that that would not happen. Yeah. 
Uh, and then he like does this whole like weird thing where he acts out yes. how it would be if they weren't uh, oh, right. bucking convention. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Edgar has a lot of issues we discover in this episode. Yeah. Many, 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 many issues. Yes. Well, is that when he's talking about... His... I, I don't know which... which uh... <laughs> well, Because the several times that he talks about his, his grandfather and it's a little disturbing. Well, he just talks about what his grandfather, that, that he, he was like, he had 30 minutes for tea and, and he would, he would ask you how you were doing and at school and you'd be like, all right. And, and he'd say, it's not, I didn't ask you anything else. Yeah. And, and, and just like, and that's how he showed affection by yeah. acknowledging your existence. No. And he said that his father, Mr. Edgar's father told, no, you know, that's how we know that he loves us. And we're yeah. all just like, oh! <laughs> And then, I mean, in every narration he has from that point on is him saying, you know, when you're a family, when you're a father. I'm like, are you a father? Yeah. Do you really? Because two weeks is a very short period of time to develop a bond like he's apparently developed with Charlie. Yeah. Well, except I think, you know, I think that's that's the way these shows work is yeah. that two weeks is a short time unless you're spending 18 hours a day, yeah, six days a week true. with it's somebody. It's like camp. Yeah. But worse. But worse. One, I mean, and that's, I think, what's so incredible because this is only the second episode and the relationships have really fallen into patterns yeah. and just everybody is just so frazzled. Yeah. There's one scene where you see Antonia arguing with Mr. Dubiard that really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And they're arguing about about the meaning of the project. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's upset that they're trying to sort of bend the rules and she's like, well, I'm just trying to not, like, go crazy and kill you and then myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, but, I mean, I don't think I've been that mad about anything and had an actual altercation with anyone yeah. that was that emotionally pitched in years. Yeah, well, I wrote for that, every scene with Monsieur ends right before he launches into a string of obscenities. Yeah. <laughs> No, Antonia nearly drops the F bomb yeah, and self corrects yeah. to frickin' yeah. like Yeah. I feel like they like must have given them like a list of acceptable words. <laughs> like, listen, we've done this before. This is not our first rodeo. <laughs> yeah, so they, they they have this weird thing and, and so Charlie suggests that they do like a work swap. Right. Which is like some hippie liberal idea <laughs> that like somehow they'll all learn something by doing each other's jobs. I mean, I think, you know, basically his thinking comes down to, I will do the scholarly maid's work for a day to show her that it's not that big a deal, and then maybe she'll stop whining. I think was the, the thought process. <laughs> you, sir, are misunderestimating the whole point of the scullery maid on this show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so the hall boy gets promoted to footman, which uh, I think we can all agree that that never freaking would have happened on Downton Abbey. Yeah. Uh, Good lord. I, I actually made a noise <laughs> yeah. when I saw him serving a table. I like, I could just, I could hear yeah. Carson behind me. He literally would have set himself on fire. Oh my god. Like, literally. Surely we haven't sunk that low, my lord. <laughs> a whole boy serving dinner. <laughs> I've lived for nothing. Seventeen years with a cheerful Charlie. So this is the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Uh, but so anyway, so Kenny has has been promoted. We don't get any reactions from the family 
on this. Right. These just can Honestly, stand. I don't think they can tell them apart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't think. Well, if they're, they're if they're genuinely trying to not look at them. Right. When they're not supposed to look at them, they probably haven't. Yes. Put anything well, together. Well, Lady OC apparently can't see anything. Yeah, anyway. she's she's very short sighted without her glasses. Yes. So it's it's uh, quite difficult for me to see who they poor are. Poor people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very specific myopia she has. I see poor people. <laughs> um, Don't be silly, Ma. There's no such thing as poor people. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so Charlie does the scullery maid's bit for a day. The scullery maid does the hall boy's work. Uh, we didn't. I, I wasn't entirely. You know, I think she probably just biffed off for the day. <laughs> well, no, I think they were footmaning a bit, just in terms of just like as they were cleaning all the glasses right. at one point. That well, I they, think was, I don't know, it's unclear exactly. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so they did that. But, like, to no purpose, because she started whining again, like, immediately. Yeah, 30 seconds later, the whining continued. Yeah. We do get a good scene here with Rob and Charlie kind of getting along, though. Yeah. And I want to just say I would really love to be the point in a Twilight-esque love triangle with Rob and Charlie. They are so cute. They're very cute. They're very cute and non-threatening. I think, I uh, Godspeed. Thank you. I'm naming my first child, uh... Ren Tom's May after you <laughs> and your permission for this love triangle. <laughs> that is strange. Yep. Yep. And and uh, which one was uh, saying he couldn't remain celibate? Rob. Rob. I'm so, pretty sure it was Rob. So you're, you you know already your odds I are guess, good there. Yeah, I guess he's the father then. <laughs> <laughs> How old are those guys now? Uh, they're fine. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> British mage. British men age well, right? Uh. Well, wait until we see the men who come to the dinner party. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a weird thing where Monsieur Dubillard is concerned about poisoning people. Well, because there's a mouse in the kitchen. Yes. I think what he was saying there was that... Was it lost in translation? I think what he was saying there was that just sort of a cook thing about how people just assume there aren't mice running around every kitchen in the world, uh-huh. but there are. And people just eat at restaurants like, oh, it's all fine. There's no mouse droppings anywhere. <laughs> well, but I think maybe his point was they couldn't use rat poison oh, because that... it might get into the food. I guess that could have been it, but oh, maybe that's maybe that's one of those like things they couldn't do, period, like have period rat poison. Or oh, around. yeah, Cause possibly. Because back, back then it was like, well, every once in a while somebody will die of rat poisoning. And yeah. Uh, it's, that's the price you pay to kill some rats. Yeah. Perhaps. Uh, anyway, I was very concerned. Uh, we also get a shot of Mr. Dubiard's hands, which are terrifying. Yeah. Oh my God. They're all scarred and just so scary. Yeah. Oh, the scariness of those hands. It's true. All and- the perfumes of Arabi will not sweeten those hands. Yeah. Well, cause he's, he's discussing the menu and as he discusses what they're going to do, there's shots of him getting prepared for it, including venison showing him just carrying a deer over his shoulder and slamming it down on a table, getting ready to prepare it like yep. Tywin Lannister. Like it was, Oh man, it was that, that was, a deer. I mean, but I, I really appreciate, I really appreciate that they show that. Oh yeah. Because I do think it's important, uh, to see that. Yeah. To say when we serve venison, it starts off as a deer yeah. and then we cut it up. Like that's how <laughs> venison works. <laughs> This is the episode that makes 15 new vegetarians. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I think uh, Charlie's, like, trying to, like, negotiate some work share 
co-op deal still. Right. And Mr. Edgar's like, what? I did this one time for, for you <laughs> because you're my surrogate son and I'm being really weird. Yeah. And he is being really weird. He like, is. he loves Charlie so much. Yeah. And, and it's uh, not going to end well for him. No. Uh, but anyway, but like, so, uh, Charlie's like trying to pitch this thing, like, oh, where we all like do this like work swap thing. And, you know, and, and Mr. Edgar balks and he's like, oh, well, not you, sir. Like, <laughs> of course not you. <laughs> yeah. He knows which side his bread is buttered on. Indeed. The Edgar side. <laughs> Uh, then comes in, uh, Simon Barry. That's right. A leading London merchant. Uh, he is a purveyor of fine wines. Yes. Uh, antique type wines, apparently. Yeah. I do wish he dressed more period or that they had hired an actor. <laughs> because I am not thrilled with this guy's performance. Yeah, it's true. I am, however, interested by Edwardian wine. Apparently, they liked uh, German wine, and they liked their white wine to be sweet. Yeah. I, I would have been right on board I know. With, with all of that. Break open the Gewürztraminer. I would love to. Yeah, German wine was considered the best, and I can only imagine that World War One completely shot that to hell. I would think. I think that's why yeah. you no longer hear about the majestic vineyards of Germany. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure they're still making wine, but it's got all that, you know, hate in it. Mm-hmm. Well, there was also that, the, the phylloxera virus that, like, killed all the vines. Oh. Um, and I feel like that was around the turn of the century. Um, I'm not sure. So I wonder if that was, if, if that led to France being downgraded in favor of Germany. But I have no idea if that's really hmm. true. Yeah. Well, there's a Tom Repeats History Fashion Backwards episode coming up. I don't know if you know. That is... I'm writing that down. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, he goes in to show Lord O.C. a uh, very fine, I believe it was 1876? 76 or 78, yeah. Uh, Takai. Yes. Which I always thought was pronounced Toke. As I did. From as my, did I. my close readings of the Golden Compass. Right. So I was immediately concerned they were going to kill Lord Azrael. <laughs> uh, so far, so good. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so they negotiate a price, uh, and this is where I wish they had hired an actor, because, like, yeah, it, it would have been more fun to have somebody come in and, you know, because Lord O.C. is a businessman. Right. So it would have been more fun to see them actually haggle, whereas this guy just comes and he's like, well, here's the thing, and the and conversion rate, and really the... your money, and I yeah, don't, I don't, why, yeah. why are we doing this He's again? just not invested in it yeah, at all, and yeah. it's disappointing to see people come in from the outside who aren't invested in it. Yeah. I don't know what this means, but I just wrote down, oh, Monsieur Dubiard, you remind me of me. <laughs> well, because what happens is, um, <laughs> uh, with Lord O.C.'s blessing, Mr. Edgar, loose cannon that he is, right. decides to organize a little music party and dance, music and dance party for the servants downstairs mm-hmm. the night before the big dinner party. And so we see them all dancing and laughing. There's a violin playing and, and much rejoicing. And then we cut to Monsieur Dubillard sitting in the dark kitchen by himself plucking pheasants. <laughs> and just, and, and his, his dialogue is like, I don't know why people are at the business. I don't know. I, yeah, they're, they're very nice. They're very soft. They, they feel very nice. And he's basically saying, why would anybody want to dance and sing when they could be plucking pheasants? Yeah, he's a very pleasant mother pheasant plucker. <laughs> he is. Yeah, so yeah, that's when I like to work instead of party, I guess is why I said that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a very bad mistake that Mr. Edgar has made because he yes. put the carrot before the stick. Yeah. You can't do that. Not the day before the party. 
you say, hey, quit being jerks for a minute and you can have a party. <laughs> right. And this, this party apparently featured not just music and dancing, but alcohol. Uh, in copious amounts. Apparently so, which is really odd to me. I know, because that most definitely wasn't pure. Well... It's never been entirely clear to me what the statutes on on servants drinking was. Right. I mean, obviously, it, it went on mm-hmm. because, you know, Mr. Bates says, you know, during the whole stupid wine scheme, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, the whole time I've been at Downton Abbey, you've never seen me touch a drop of alcohol. Right. So, you know, there have to be these opportunities, whether it's, you know, that they're they're buying it with their wages or if they occasionally are sent a bottle of wine out of the charity of someone's heart. But yeah, I don't think period wise they would have been supplied with alcohol in such quantities as to give both charlie and kenny the hall boy alcohol poisoning yeah which i'm not sure that alcohol poisoning Derek jacoby is the correct diagnosis yeah hungover certainly they looked uh, it was like holding a mirror up to nature (laughs) Unwell, yes. Alcohol poisoning, that to me is like emergency room. Yeah, that's stomach pumping, reconsidering your life kind of stuff. But in any case, they drank too much. Far too much. Yes. Mr. Edgar has to come in and wake up Charlie, and he's just devastated. Yeah. He's absolutely devastated. Yeah. And and it's just... And it's amazing because he doesn't like he doesn't his face does not show any emotion. But his voice. But like you can just tell. I mean, he's very shaken up by the whole thing. Yeah. We get a shot of guy playing ping pong, which reminded (laughs) me of it's like living in a hotel where the guests never leave. (laughs) Only there's no convalescent soldiers around diddling the maids, so it's not quite the same thing. Sadly, yeah. Yeah, well, and, and because he, he tells Charlie that he can sleep in for a bit longer, and Charlie, like, smiles. Charlie um, is totally pulling a scam. Also, my suspicion, probably still drunk. Yeah, that's also true. I, I mean, you can, the you two can, were not, yeah, I'm not you saying... Can, you can be still drunk and pull a scam. I'm not saying he isn't pulling a scam. I think he's still drunk. Yeah. Uh, Kenny does a voiceover saying that he was woken up not by Mr. Edgar, but by Mr. Dubiard. Yeah. Uh, and discovering that he had vomited all over himself in his bed. Yeah. Which that's... Well, because Kenny's really young. I don't know what the drinking age is in Britain. I think... It's 19 in Canada. I feel like it's 18, but I may okay. be crazy. Are you British? Are you of age? Please <laughs> tell us what you know. Uh, yeah, so I feel like Kenny is very new to the whole drinking game. Mm. So I think that's why he gets hit so hard. Yeah. Uh, also, Mr. Edgar doesn't like him as much. True. So. True. Uh, which uh, leads to a shot of Mr. Edgar walking down to the lake. Or yes. is it a river? Uh, it's a river. And uh, curled up on the bank are both Charlie and Kenny sleeping in the grass. Yeah. And what was the thought process that le- for them that led to them lying by a river sleeping? I don't know. Like, how did they come up with maybe, this Maybe, you know, maybe they figured they would be found out before they could get any sleep. So they thought they would go lay down by the river. I, I guess. I, it was. They were reenacting the scene in A Midsummer Night's Dream <laughs> where Hermia and Lysander are very tired and they lay down and then one of them's gone and the other one wakes up and they think that a serpent is eating them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a good scene. 
Whether they were visited by Titania, Queen of the Fairies, is not revealed in the show. Yeah, probably not, since actually I, it was mostly Puck and Oberon that were, like, visiting people. Yeah, that's Not true. to be a bitch about it, but... Titania visited... Uh, that was just Bottom. Yep, you're... See? I'm just saying. Don't mess with the best, because the best don't mess. Uh, Boom! Shakespeare said that. I will, I will keep that in mind. <laughs> 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 But yes, the, the tragedy of Mr. Edgar continues. Oh, because they, they pan and they watch them go up to the house. Like he, for no reason, he's like, he's like, Charlie, I'm very disappointed. And then he was like, Kenny, <laughs> you're really going to get it. And Kenny's face is just like, why? <laughs> we did the exact same crap. Yeah. But as they walk away, Mr. Edgar just says, betrayed. And it is, like, the most cutting, emotional, upsetting intonation I've ever heard. Yeah. And I watched Judy Dench play Lady Macbeth one time. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And he's just, like, that That he clearly, he's like, I, I was wrong. I tried to be nice. I was trying to be, I was trying to not be my grandfather. But clearly, being my grandfather is the only option. He goes on this amazing arc. Yeah. It's insane that this arc happened in the time frame that it happened in. And, and I mean, because he starts out, you know, and I don't know for how long he's held this opinion that, you know, his grandfather's way was not the right way. Yeah. Because I don't get the sense that Mr. Edgar has, like, a wife and kids for some reason. Right. And I mean, he may, he, he may but he doesn't yeah. feel like he does. And then just quickly just do a 180 on it is just astonishing yeah and and so we now you know it's going to be a, a a meaner uh more disciplined mr edgar yeah uh and everyone's upset yeah no we see uh morrison morrison yes uh for i think the first time in this episode mm-hmm. and she is weeping weeping over what they did to mr edgar uh-huh and I mean, it, there's a clue, like a subtext here. She's kind of got a little bit of a thing for Mr. Uh-huh. Edgar, which, hey, nothing wrong with hey, that. He, I get it. He cuts a fine figure. He does. You know, I mean, we both have feelings for Mr. Edgar. We do. They yeah. are not of a romantic nature. Right. But, but we, we feel his pain. And I mean, Mrs. Davis also like basically her first appearance. She was, yeah. she was shown earlier kind of like yelling at one of the maids. Yeah. I, I get the sense that we're not going to get a whole lot of drama from the maids. Yeah, they, they all seem, I seem mean, with the obvious exception of the you know rotating cast of scholarly maids, right? But, but the, I mean the regular maids. I mean, look, I feel like Mr. Edgar came into this wanting to do a good job and you know make a statement with capital letters, mm-hmm. whereas Mrs. Davis was just like, oh, I'll do this for a while, mm-hmm. you know, I'll clean this other house. Yeah, because uh, yeah. we see her yelling at one of them for not correctly cleaning. Uh, Levine's bathroom. Right, right. Which, you know, I'm sure Levine didn't care. She doesn't need a towel. It's it's true. She was out with that skater boy. (laughs) She said, see you later, boy. (laughs) No, but uh, Mrs. Davis is a very even keel. Yeah. Uh, You know, much like Mrs. Hughes is on Downton Abbey. Yeah. In almost every uh, period show like this that I've seen, including Gosford Park. Yeah. I'm always like, why isn't the housekeeper the one in charge? Yeah. They seem to keep a much tighter handle on things. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know if it has to do with sort of gender roles of the day, but like the, the, the butlers always seem to be very preoccupied with appearances. Not that that's not important. Right. That is part of the job. 
but the housekeeper also understands how important the work is Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. know and that it doesn't really matter who does it as long as it gets done yeah uh so yeah i don't know yeah uh well i mean i think the butler to an extent i think their job is appearances period that's true. that is the goal that they're trying to achieve yeah is appearances so anyway yeah well it's just i guess you know that's fine but then maybe they shouldn't also be in charge of management oh uh, right so what we're saying is housekeepers rule butler's true <laughs> uh rob finally blows off his steam about <laughs> the whole situation and yeah. he he does come out on charlie's side though yeah. He's upset with Mr. Edgar. He is. Not Charlie, as I sort of thought he should be. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, really? And I mean, it's always, you know. Again, like, didn't we, you have to do more work because he got lashed? Right. But he doesn't care because he's going to get lashed at the pub. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't know. We, 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 you know, we get like 1% of what's going on in these people's, you know, of, of the. the yeah. The, yeah. Because it's, a, it's a, such a short program. We don't get a good sense of sort of like what they're doing behind the scenes. Right. And that's what I mean about the maids is like because there's so little conflict amongst the maids. Yeah. It's kind of hard to see what their relationships to each other are because they yeah. all seem pretty happy. Yeah. Um, at one point, Kelly mentions, you know, that lots of them have fiancés or, you know, just significant others that they miss. Right, but, right. you know, overall, they're pretty. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They're copacetic. Yeah. We find out they have to polish and clean over 1,000 pieces of crystal, silver, and china. Yeah. To which I say thank God for Dixie cups. <laughs> Clogging our nation's harbors, though they may be. Yeah. They have made my life much easier. Yeah. And I believe it's at a, about this point, maybe a little bit later, as we're getting into the – it's a little bit later. As we're getting into the uh, preparations for the dinner party – that uh, Derek Jacoby says something along the lines of the downstairs staff is finally shaping up. And this is like literally about four hours after the incident uh-huh. at the river. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet now they're shaping up apparently. Well, so is- and my issue with was that I didn't think anybody else was doing that bad a job. Right. I mean, you know, the people who were having trouble were Kelly and Kenny. Right. And Charlie and Antonia was having difficulty, not because she wasn't doing the work, but because everybody kept trying to sort of, like, slag their work off onto her. Yeah. Which she is not having. And I love yeah. Antonia because she won't take shit from anybody. Right. Even Monsieur Dubiard. Like, she's the <laughs> only one who's kind of a match for him. They're kind of like the old married couple of the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. she's like, she keeps trying to reason with him. And he's like, woman, <laughs> there is no such thing as reason in cooking. <laughs> Viva la revolution! Stifle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, you know, apparently they managed to get everything together. Yeah. Somehow, um, what with all the drama. Yeah, the things seem to be going all right. You know, the, now now we get back to more of the upstairs side of things because they're so nervous about their mm-hmm. uh, their big party. <laughs> we get a horrifying shot yeah. of the Lord and Lady O.C. kissing. And it just, ugh. Yeah. They look like they're not well, having fun. And a horribly uncomfortable, like, uh, talking head with them just prior to that where they're talking about like oh you know uh we've decided that people are just coming here to have a good time and and at this point we probably know more about 1905 etiquette than they do so we're just hoping any gaffes go unnoticed like uh they're not going to go unnoticed by derek jacoby i'll tell you that that guy hates all of you (laughs) yes doesn't even know you (laughs) um but yeah so they're they're uncomfortable as always Mm mm-hmm 
The servants are powdering their hair. Yes, which struck us as odd. Yeah, we hadn't seen that on Downton Abbey, but apparently, you know, this is 1905-1906. Right. So it's later enough in Downton Abbey where that kind of artifice might have fallen away. Possibly. And, And I was trying to look into that to see if I could find anything out about it. The only thing I did find was that... Uh, the footmen at Buckingham Palace mm-hmm. powdered their hair and tell Prince Philip. Oh wow! Uh, put a stop to it. Good for so. him. That's like the only altruistic thing he's ever done. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's about you know forty years after yeah. after this. And the uh, the guests show up. Many of these people appear to be you know uh, lords, right? Presumably uh, of the House of Lords. Uh, yes. there's, there's a Scottish Lord and his wife. They're wearing their family's tartan, mm-hmm. uh, very pretty tartan. And yeah, some of them are horrifying looking. Yes, they are. They're, they're the reason that aristocracy is a bad idea. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, Monsieur Dubiard in this episode makes champagne sorbet. Oh yeah. And we're wondering cousins, if anyone has a recipe for champagne sorbet, I'm sure there's one on the internet. Oh, you know, right. we're not simple but you know if you have one that you've used right let us know and we'll make it yeah we have an ice cream maker thus we will not have to grind repetitively as yes. antonia apparently that's had to do. true that's so, true because if i'm not sure that a champagne sorbet would be worth that i don't think but so. if we can just plug it in champagne sorbet indeed <laughs> we find out that lord oc is wearing the wrong color waistcoat yeah. He's wearing a black waistcoat. He should be wearing a white waistcoat, yeah. like all of his guests, which I'm pretty sure is standard today yeah, for like men's that, formal dress. I, yeah, that seemed like, I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, well and, and that, how could that not have been, like, number three in your book? Yeah, like, you don't have that much to know, honestly. Yeah. Like, I mean, comparatively speaking, you yeah. know. Yeah, that, that as we've really... discussed on this very podcast, yeah. the the requirements for men's fashion were nowhere near as rigorous as they were for women's. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But it is it's always a highlight to see him fucking something up, and, <laughs> and Derek Jacoby saying at how of course nobody's everybody's too polite to comment on it, so he's blissfully ignorant. Yeah. With a shot of him being blissfully yeah. ignorant. Yeah. Well, and if this was the real Edwardian period, his entire household would be disgraced. Yeah. His daughters. You know, marriage prospects would go down. Uh, people wouldn't want to come there for shooting parties and such. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, very highly regimented. Yeah, really. I mean, this that's that's the... You know, if this is... You know, what they're failing, I think, to conflate the upstairs people is how this really was your life. Yeah. I mean, it, you well, know, when how... we, we talk, you know, we give, we give some shit, I think like to McGee and things about like, what do you do all day? I right, mean, right. she probably had to study the damn stud book yeah. and the orders of precedence and like had, yeah. you know, O'Brien well, doing flashcards with yeah. her. And moreover with this family. And again, it's in the episode title, not so much in the actual episode, the making the grade, like for them to be nouveau, nouveau riche, like the standards are even there. Yeah, they, they could, their acceptance by anybody was always at stake. They mm-hmm. could easily become social outcasts. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, Everybody wanted them to be. Everybody wanted them to fail. It's the same as Richard Carlyle's situation. Yeah. And why it was so vital for him to marry a, a member of the landed gentry right. so that he would have an in right. and sort of a, you know, a cushion. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the way that they set up this experiment, they are simply, you know, up-jumped business people Mm -hmm. and that was very much looked down upon yeah despite the fact that obviously the nobility needed the cash infusion yeah 
One thing I like, in, well executed by the documentary team here, is managing to get a snatch of conversation of one of the invited lords or ladies defending the practice of fox hunting. Boo! And talking about how it's, it's really, it's, that's really the, the easiest way for them to die when you look at it that way, or something along those lines. It's just like, what if, what if you just let the damn foxes alone? Mm-hmm. Have you ever met a fox that you didn't go out trying to kill? I don't know. Anyway. I'd, I'd, I'd never felt that strongly about fox hunting until I heard that woman defend it. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. Anyway. You ought to watch uh, Mary Poppins because Dick Van Dyke saves the fox and then he takes it to the carnival. Excellent. Yeah. I have watched it, but not for many years. Well, that happens. I remember the penguins. Yes. <laughs> That's... <laughs> okay. I forgot that Lord O.C. managed to top himself. <laughs> on the Jesus line. He's describing watching his wife at dinner. And, and she, you know, I have to say she does acquit herself nicely. It looks yeah. like, you know, yeah, she's she wearing a ridiculous a dress. Good hostess. Yeah. Her, her outfit does seem to be a bit more in line with what Maggie Smith wears, mm-hmm. which kind of is consistent with us thinking that Maggie Smith is adhering to a slightly older right, uh, right. period of dress. But, you know, he's, he's reflecting on how, how well she's doing and how, you know, she's, she's dressed up, she's looking the part, and she's also carrying on intelligent conversation. And you need to be more than a bimbo to do that sort of thing. It's like, what? Who thinks she's a bimbo? Oh, yeah, you apparently. She's a freaking surgeon! Yeah! Isn't her job more specialized and difficult than yours? Yeah. Oh, vague businessman? Like, what? Are you like a consultant who's out of work? Like, what is your damage? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was really upsetting. Yeah. It was really upsetting. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, what, a, what a horrible man. Yeah. I'm just glad you didn't have any daughters, and I pity the people that your sons date, because <laughs> they will treat women like a commodity yeah. and belittle them at every turn, apparently. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, even when they're, f- when they're accomplished. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Just, oh, my God. It's, it, it was rough. So, uh, well done, Lord OC, on making us hate you more than we thought previously <laughs> possible. Yep. So then uh, they, they have some music. The, the ladies go through and the men sit around right. what with their smoking, which we don't need to talk about that. We've, yeah. we've covered that extensively. But the maids dance yes. uh, to the music just like in Gosford Park, it's which true. is a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, and also the maids dance and Rob and Kenny become my heroes because <laughs> both of them are stealing dessert off the tray and yeah. eating it. Right there in the room with everybody. And, and like, they're so bad at hiding it. Like, they're <laughs> yeah. kind of, like, trying to hide it, but it, they're doing a terrible job. Yeah. But it's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, when we did get to see a couple of the maids were downstairs trying to consomme, and, I'm you know, I'm sure mm. there was tons of food left over. Yeah, yeah. So they probably all got to eat relatively yeah. well. And also, I don't even think we mentioned it yet, uh, but Kelly left. Oh, yeah. In the middle of dinner, in apparently. In the middle of dinner. Just uh, kind of bailed. Peaced out. Yeah. Yeah, so, so uh, two down. Yeah. What what lies in store for episode three? <laughs> Monsieur Tubiard finally has that aneurysm. <laughs> Still finishes the seven course meal. Yep, he's a trooper. Yeah, he's not going to let a little little thing like a ruptured blood vessel stop him. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then we get our our sort of 
final talking head with Mr. Edgar for the episode, and he's just like a depressing Mr. Rogers. <laughs> he's like talking about how you need to like relate to children and, and parents and relationships. I'm like, you know, you're the butler, right? Like, the, yeah. the job description wasn't dad, right? It he was butler. May have misread that part. Uh, fair enough, because he's very like. Over and over again. Well, and, and two, the servant. He's like, we're a family. We're a family. And I'm like, nah. Yeah. Well, he does. And I actually, I really do like this because this is him in his new disciplinarian mode. Uh, when they're <laughs> eating. And, and Charlie and Rob each asked to be excused to go about their duties. And he says yes. And then Kenny goes up to follow them. And he's like, you have not been excused, Kenny. You haven't been excused. Sit back down and ask to be excused. Kenny sits back down and says, may I be excused, sir? And he says, no, you may not. <laughs> and I'm not sure why Kenny wanted to be excused because he had a full plate of food still. No. And I'll say the food on this show looks fairly appetizing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would eat most of what I've seen prepared. Agreed. No, I think we didn't like... I guess we didn't... Was it last week? It we was... Didn't? Yeah. In in the first episode, they had some weird, like, fish thing that we thought looked odd or yeah, just, like, but, strange. But everything today, it all looked yeah. good. Uh, and we even saw it before it got and, cooked. And, boy, and we commented, too. Like, let's seriously give a shout-out to Mr. Dubiard for the amount of food he prepared and plated it all himself. All by himself. Yeah. I mean, it, it didn't look like anyone was helping him plate. And, like, what he's doing is, like, a Top Chef finale-level challenge. Yeah. And he doesn't even have a previously kicked-out chef to help him. No. He doesn't even have a scullery mate. Yeah. It, no. I mean good lord the man is a machine yeah i mean it's and it's beautiful yeah it's it's not sloppily present yeah he made like white chocolate swan yeah i'm like when did you even have time to do that yeah well when everybody else was busy sleeping <laughs> <laughs> like those soft fools that they are uh yeah so that's that's pretty much the episode um you can still learn more about Manor House on PBS.org, incidentally. <laughs> At the end of the episode, they, they announced that. And you can just do a gurgle, uh, do a gurgle search. <laughs> you, can, you can do a gurgle search. It's up to you. Do a gurgle search or do a Google search for Manor House PBS. And, you know, you can find out what your situation would have been like. Uh, you can, you can go through and, you know, read cast bios. I don't think anyone at PBS understands how <laughs> to take down a web page once it's gotten put up. Uh, or maybe they're just being kind and assuming that we yeah. are, are doing this. Well, it's like it doesn't cost them anything to leave it up. Yeah, I guess so. that's true. So yeah. anyway, uh, you guys should check that out. Uh, it's pretty fun. Uh, and let us know, I guess, if you want to start a PBS program club <laughs> or whatever the hell that means. Yeah. Are there cookies at the PBS program club? Oh, I think it's a virtual online thing. Oh. So there could be cookies if your job is enabled. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <gasps> All right. Well, that was episode two of Manor House. We'll be back in two weeks with episode three, title unknown. <laughs> and we are looking forward to it. So until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs.